You're listening to Weather Hype, a podcast for a casual weather conversation. I'm Castle Williams. And I'm Min Fon. On this week's episode of Weather Hype, we will be discussing the pros and cons of storm chasing. We'll be joined by two guest meteorologists that will offer us their personal experience, their perspectives, and maybe discuss some of the dangers associated with storm chasing. We'll also be discussing the Arabic origin of the word haboob to describe a recent dust storm event in Texas and kind of the controversy behind that word and how a lot of folks weren't too comfortable. And then we'll be looking at the impact of misleading social media information from the June 5th severe weather event. And then, of course, Castle and I will be discussing a few of our personal life stories and also ending on the song of the week from both of us as well. So stay tuned. Weather Hype's coming up next. Now I'm the reason why you broke up with him and got back together Thought I was sunshine, but baby, I'm bad weather I'm off the Doppler in the five-day forecast By the time they hear me, I've already pushed the shore back No, no, I wasn't always like this Skies cleared soon as my daylight lit Sidewalks dried up, no snow emergency I could take you February and turn it into spring I was born on a storm When I get gone, I get gone And I don't need anyone to know better Put your faith in all right, Castle. So on today's episode, you'll be interviewing Nick Gilmore, right? Yeah, I am. He is a graduate of Virginia Tech. He has personal experience storm chasing, as well as he runs his own blog. And his latest post was on the ethics of storm chasing. So I believe he is the perfect candidate for this episode. And I'm going to be interviewing Noah Brower. He went to CU Boulder and Metropolitan State in Denver. He's actually storm chased a few times and has some pretty cool perspectives to offer from what he's done during storm chasing. He actually also has a lot of different ideas about the pros and cons and shares both the positives and negatives of storm chasing. So it'd be really cool to talk to him too. And we're joined today by Noah Brower, a meteorologist here in Colorado who has gone through a lot of storm chasing stuff, right? How are you doing today? I'm doing well. I said that you went to CU Boulder and graduated from Metropolitan State, but I actually kind of mixed that up. Can you clarify real quick? Yeah, so I did um, most of my undergraduate at CU Boulder, and they don't have a complete um, atmospheric meteor- meteorology program, so I took the courses that um, CU doesn't offer at Metro State in Denver. So I met you at the uh, undergraduate leadership workshop that uh, NCAR had. So NCAR, the National Center for Atmospheric Research, I think it's a great bonding event where we get to meet other really inspired, successful students who really have a passion and fire for meteorology. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I met people that I will definitely keep in touch with for the rest of my life. Um, Men included. Yeah, yeah. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> and no, it, it was just a really great opportunity to meet people in the field, just network, um, discuss your interests with other students, um, other scientists, really. All in all, it's just a really great week. We did a lot of fun activities and team building activities. So I'm bringing you here today and talking to you because you've actually, you're one of my friends who um, actually goes storm chasing. I mean, when was the first time you've ever uh, chased a storm? And maybe talk about some of the experiences you have, because it's not a walk in the park like some people think when they watch TV shows. They think, wow, you know, you always see a tornado every day that you go chasing and you have this great video and footage, but it's not as glamorous as people make it out to be, huh? No, not at all. So the first time I actually went out storm chasing was back in 2013. And um, this was, I was a sophomore in college. So I, I guess I had a big idea of what I was doing, but I really, in retrospect, I really didn't know what I was doing. Went out with a couple friends, just kind of looked at the radar, didn't actually do much forecasting, just just wanted to go out there and see what I could see. And in a sense, we did that. We saw some cool storm structure and saw some amatis. And... So then when you're storm chasing, um, that first time that you went, was it more of a, I guess, like an adrenaline rush kind of thing going on? Did you have goals of what you wanted to see, what you wanted to do? And did you think about things like safety when you went out? Like, oh, we have to stay a certain distance away from the storm. We have to avoid the um, hail core. Most of the hail falls in the storm. You don't want hail falling all over your car. Um, Did you think about that kind of stuff? Or was it just really new to you where you didn't really think too much about it and kind of just went on a free-for-all and kind of storm chased a little bit? Um, Back then, it, it was rather new to me. I did have radar on my phone, but I don't like now I don't like to depend solely on radar. I think it's good to have an idea of not as only as good as extremely important to have an idea of what you're seeing like visually right in front of you. Um, that's also what makes storm chasing so enjoyable. 
but yeah, back then, um, ethically speaking, we were safe. Um, we didn't break any rules. We weren't speeding. We weren't pulling over in the middle of the road. So in the, the following years, you've definitely developed more capability in terms of meteorological um, understanding of the atmosphere and, and how things work. And also kind of the art of storm chasing, because um, you've gone pretty recently, as recent as a couple of weeks ago or a few weeks ago, back in uh, May and April of 2016. And you guys drove out pretty far away from Denver too, right? Yeah. So I, I've actually been out, yeah, three or four times so far this year. First week we went out was back in, I think it was last week of April, April 26th. I think everyone thought that was going to be a, a bigger day than it ended up being. We made our way all the way out to central Kansas. And that was the day that the SBC put out their PBS yeah. tornado launch. Yeah, that's right. We actually did see two funnel clouds, um, one just near Junction City, Kansas, and another just east of Wichita, Kansas. Um, but the storms kind of congealed into a big MCS, like a big mess, later on in the day. So there was actually a very narrow window for any good storm structure before it all just got... So there's a lot of things that you look into, and I mean, to, to people, that's like a lot of complexities in, in trying to forecast severe weather. And so while meteorologists are getting really good at forecasting severe weather, there's so many things that come into play that makes it kind of difficult. You talked about how in late April, the uh, setup was kind of there. But things didn't really materialize. But you had more success when you were chasing more recently in May, correct? That's correct. Yeah. So Ray, Colorado. That was that was probably the most impressive day, of, most impressive storm I've ever seen. We were we were excited. We thought we might see something. It wasn't looking over overly impressive. We thought shear might be an issue. But no, we got this one storm. And there were some storms earlier that day west uh, towards Denver, and you know they didn't look very good. They were just a mess. So I was with a good friend of mine, Alex, and another good friend of mine, Jessica. Yeah, Alex who's a meteorology student that I went to school with at Metro. Kind of parked east, um, Last Chance, Colorado. It's just north of I-70. That's the real name of the city? Last Chance, yeah. Last Chance for what? Redemption? So, <laughs> it, it was, um, I think it was before I-70 was built. It was the last stop before anything on mm. US-36. Okay. And, yeah, there's like a Dairy King there now, but it's abandoned. Dairy King? Dairy King, not Dairy Queen. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's such a sad building because there's nothing there and it just is Dairy King. And ice yeah. cream's always good when I pass through. That's true. Good, so. That's true. Wait, actually, you were telling me too, there's like a ritual where you guys go get milkshakes from a certain gas station and that type, the flavor of milkshake can kind of determine whether or not you're going to have a successful chase day, correct? Oh, yeah. So this special place, a lot of people in Central Plains, it's Brahms. It's a, it's a good ice cream and dairy store. I've never heard of Brahms before. Yeah, I mean, there's something special about it. It seems like every time we buy our professor a, a large strawberry shake, we, we see something. Um, last few times I've jinxed, I've jinxed it because I've gotten a chocolate malt, but I mean... So you have to get a strawberry milkshake for yeah. it to work? Yeah, I mean, you have to get strawberry. If you get chocolate, I mean, you're just going to ruin the day and you're just going to see scud. And what's scud for people who don't know? Scattered cumulus under deck, I believe, is what it stands for. And it's... pretty much when you're looking at the sky and you see like a lowering structure, cloud structure, and sometimes people think that might be a tornado, right? But it's actually scud, which it's is scud. non-rotating, a low-hanging cloud that can look kind of scary, but in actuality, doesn't really pose a threat at all, right? Exactly. So, okay, when you're chasing, we've talked about the ideas of people who a, may not know as much of what they're doing, and they get out there, they're trying to get that video, trying to get that footage of the storms, but they don't really have that meteorological expertise and knowledge to really know uh, where to be safe and how to be safe, because sometimes they get really close. So that's the first point I want to talk to you about. When you chase, you see people acting out and maybe getting a little too close for comfort and what do you what do you guys do when you chase do you guys again try to stay a safe distance away or can sometimes you get sucked into that excitement and make maybe a, a wrong decision of getting too close even though you know better not to yeah so i mean first off we actually try and just we always try and chase in places where there are not going to be a ton of people we avoid oklahoma and southern kansas like the plague just because it's there, there are too many people out there and it simply is just in in my sense it almost takes away the beauty a little bit just because there are just so many people and i that's part of the reason why i like to go out chasing like just being out in open areas and just seeing just the atmosphere so so many people isn't like so many people on the highway or like so many people in and around cities that you guys don't want to chase around. Both. I mean, going chasing through cities is never fun. It's never a good idea. And especially if people need to get through the city to, if, if something does happen on the outskirts of the city or in the city, I mean, I don't want to block people from like, 
emergency crews that need to actually get through. I, I feel like it's just a matter of how big of a risk you want to take. Um, personally, I don't really like to take a big risk in getting that close if it's going to put my life in danger. Um, I like to stay out of rain and hail. To me, it's not just it's just not worth it. And I'm really out. I'm I'm happy going out there. And if I just see some good storm structure as opposed to a tornado, I'm happy to. Like, of course, it's neat to see a tornado, but I'm not all about the tornadoes. I just think it's neat to go out there and see a storm that looks very textbook and I can apply it to what I've learned in coursework. When you go out also, the, the idea of um, chaser convergence where a bunch of chasers come together and, and like track one storm. And we've seen pictures of sometimes on the highway, a bunch of cars just parked on the shoulder. That can cause some issues too, because some people might stop in the middle of the highway or there might be actually even a small traffic jam in that area where the tornado is because so many chasers are all converging on one location. Um, have you ever seen that happen? And what can we do about it? You can't really tell people to stop chasing. People will continue to do what they want to do. And so I wonder if there's even a solution to that. But yeah, have you have you ever seen that happening in real life? I have seen that happen. Um, once was last year, um, I was actually out with my school in Canadian, Texas, and there were there were a lot of people in the storm. There were news stations and classes, including my own, tours, and yeah, people were parked along the side of the road, and fortunately, most people were courteous and were doing what they should be doing and pulling over off to the side of the road, not parking in the middle of the road, but recently in Ray, Colorado, just this past year, there was a large tornado, and yeah, we saw some people. They were They were blocking a road. You know, it's kind of irritating when... Not only is it irritating, it's extremely dangerous when they're blocking the road. With this uproar in the meteorology community, I mean, we've been talking about it for a few years now, um, and we've all acknowledged the fact that there can be issues with people chasing and, and abusing the, the rules of the road and not really following, like, either speeding or cutting each other off or just being silly and, and blocking the road sometimes, too. What can be done to improve it? Do you think the problem is going to continually get worse and worse, or is it going to improve from people finally acknowledging that we really need to stop acting out the way we do? Because this, it seems like more and more on the online, on the computer, the internet, on TV, we see this, this fascinating footage of beautiful tornadoes, and tornadoes are beautiful. They're very destructive, don't get me wrong, and we never want to see people get hurt. But as a meteorologist, myself, Noah, Castle, um, Nick, other people, we, we see how beautiful the storm can be. And learning about it in school, we like to be able to visualize what we're learning about. And it really does help us as meteorologists grow and understand what we're learning and really lets us see, you know, all the different structures that we talk about. But, you know, can we fix this problem that we're having? You know, because there hasn't been anything bad happening yet luckily yeah luckily there have been fatalities unfortunately with even experienced storm chasers you know but it's only it's like one of those things it's only a matter of time before something bad happens a lot of situations where people may be getting too close and we wonder if there's anything that we can even do about it there's an idea of getting the american meteorological society or the national weather association or um just some kind of entity to come together and be like here are some guidelines to how to responsibly chase a storm. Here are things you should do. Here are things you shouldn't do. Do you think that could be a possible solution to, to how we're uh, attacking this problem? I do. And I, I think, and I, I really don't want this to stop people from going out in a sense, because I think it is really important for people to, to understand the power of weather and really appreciate its beauty. But I also think there are ways to do it properly, like you said. I guess another point I had, too, about storm chasing, people have actually started taking CPR classes. If you are a storm chaser and you happen to be in an area where a community is completely destroyed, houses are leveled, people are injured. As a storm chaser, I feel like people have the responsibility to help out and be kind of like that first responder because there are so many people out there and you might be the first person on the scene of a collapsing home with people inside and you kind of want to be able to help out as opposed to, oh, I'm just storm chasing today. Doesn't really involve me. These people stuck in a home, injured with broken arms, broken legs. I'm just passing through. Like, exactly. Yeah. Like if, if you're storm chasing, I feel like you should take a more active role in the process of helping people out after the fact of the storm. Have you gone through CPR training or do you know if your, your school, when you went out as a class, did they emphasize anything like that? I went through it a long time ago, but this is five or six years ago. So I should okay. definitely take it again. But yeah, I think that would actually be a great idea. Just might be 
somewhat hard to do because I mean, it does cost money, but yeah, implementing like a CPR first aid class is a mandatory part of going out on storm chasing tours or classes. And I really don't see the harm in it. Um, yes, it does take time and it does cost money, but I think it would be important, especially if you are going to go out and you are going to experience some potentially dangerous situations. I think it would be a great idea. So I wonder if that could be something we could push for as well, you know? And I think it's just good general knowledge too. Like, I'm sure everyone should know how to do that. When you're chasing, obviously there's value to it for what you do. And we've talked about it before, but you say there are certain people who claim that, oh, we're doing this for a good cause. We're doing it for a great reason. But in all honesty, you think they're kind of shielding that motive for chasing with an excuse like, oh, we're, we're doing good in the world. And when in actuality, these are people who might just be taking photos and videos and selling them um, to other people in the future. You have some pretty strong opinions about that from what we've talked about before, right? Yeah, like, I just don't think there's a need to glorify it. I, I, like, I, go, I go out chasing because it's a hobby of mine. I like to see I like to see my forecast verify. It's, it's neat to see your forecast, see how you did. And of course, there's that neat part of, I mean, this is science. It's cool, like, seeing storms and seeing what I learned in class and actually seeing it in person visually. Um, but I'm not doing any good for the world by going out. In fact, I might be causing some harm. But I think it's important to recognize that. Like, you are not saving lives by going out storm chasing. You you aren't doing good in the world. You aren't protecting people. I mean, you're storm chasing. And just just take it for what it's worth. It's a hobby. Um, it's it's great to be passionate about it. But So, but there are people who do chase. And they're doing research. But people will place little uh, sensors on the ground, hoping the tornado will go right over it to measure the wind speed, the pressure inside of a tornado. Or um, some people have done the um, pecan study, looking mm -hmm. at convection, looking at thunderstorms at night and seeing, investigating that further too. So there are people who do chase or, you know, quote unquote chase, and they do it for research reasons too. But a majority of people you feel, either they're, whether they're in a class from a school or university, or they're getting footage or video. So you're saying that for the most part, people need to own up to the fact that it's not really helping anybody out. It's just, it is what it is, which is a hobby for most people. Yeah, and there's and there's really nothing wrong with that. And I, I don't understand why people have to get so defensive over it. Um, it's, it's, it's a great hobby. I love it myself. Um, and yeah, there, there are people that are definitely using it to better, better science, better the field, um, like researchers, PCAN. Um, and like, I think that's really cool. And I eventually hope to be associated with something like that myself. But I think there is a difference then difference between actually going out there and collecting data versus going out there and getting absolutely as close as you can to the storm and more for the for the thrill and of course there's a thrill with the research aspect of it but i think there is a little bit of a difference um i guess just my point is i just i enjoy it and i don't think there's anything wrong with that and i think people should just admit that for me i've never chased but i've i've been wanting to chase and i was hoping to chase a couple of weeks ago didn't get a chance to but at some point this summer while i'm out in denver i'd love to chase Exactly. I mean, it's it's one thing to yeah see pictures and videos and see it in a textbook, but it really is something else to see these storms up close in person. Thank you for having me, man. Yeah, dude, it's always a pleasure. Thanks, man. Uh, that was a really interesting conversation with Noah. And now it's my turn. I have Nick Gilmore here. He is a recent graduate of Virginia Tech. And he's the owner of the blog, The Weather Zone, and we will definitely throw a link up on our website. Um, but what really caught my attention was his, was his recent blog on storm chasing. And so I thought he would be the perfect uh, candidate to talk to. So welcome to the show, Nick. Hey, Castle. How's it going? No, it's going great. I'm so glad that you're here. Like I said, I think you're the perfect person to kind of have this pro-con discussion with. For sure, for sure. Uh, storm chasing has always been a, a huge passion of mine, so... Uh, I know there's been a whole lot of controversy here in the news recently about it, so uh, I'm definitely looking forward to talking about it. Yeah, so I think maybe what we should start with is kind of a easy step guide of what storm chasing actually is. So since you're the one out of the two of us that's been storm chasing, I think you have the experience to kind of tell us and everyone listening what exactly storm chasing is. Sure. Okay, so when you when you think of storm chasing, I know before I actually practice it and went out in the field and actually did it i always thought of those tv shows that you see on the discovery channel about the big uh tank like vehicles that that stick their right yeah uh, anchors into the ground and that was what i thought storm chasing was but it's it's definitely not 
Uh, there are definitely some people out there that do that, but uh, the way that I did it was I was involved with the Hokie Storm Chasers at Virginia Tech, and uh, we we used that as a field experience for our uh, for our degree uh, that you have to have before you graduate. And um, so basically, to start out, uh, it's it's a lot of driving. <laughs> Somebody never told me about <laughs> that. Uh, I believe our first day out on the road, it was 13, 14 hours in one day. It, it was crazy. Uh, but basically start to finish the day of a storm chaser uh, you wake up really early in the morning uh, you look at all the new model outputs and you have to highlight where you think the best uh, storm initiation is going to be and then once you figure that out and we discuss it as a team we head out on the road and I think every single day that we chased it was at least 10 hours on the road um, because once wow. you get to the storm you have to you follow it for for miles basically and uh, you mm -hmm. You get on a good storm and you follow it and then it's like eight o'clock at night and you go to bed and you wake up early and do it all over again. Uh, once you're in the like the thick of storm chasing, uh, there's not a whole lot of time for even eating. Uh, I remember each day we would uh, we had coolers in the back of our vans where we would make little sandwiches uh, out on the road and just stop for a few minutes just to eat and then start out again. It's it's a crazy life, but it was so much fun. So is there like one person in charge of each day of like being like the head storm chaser or like how did that work? So David Carroll is a professor at uh, Tech. Uh, he's actually one of the, the reasons why there's a meteorology program at Virginia Tech now. And uh, he's been taking students out for years long before there was a program uh, at the university and uh he basically is the leader but he does it so in a in an offhand kind of way he allows the students to work together uh to to highlight the best areas for storm initiation where they think that we need to set up that day in order to find the best stuff possible so uh, while he's there to kind of give a gentle guiding hand it's definitely left up to the students we kind of all work together as a team because this the way that it's set up, it's it's really some of our first experience uh, actually forecasting in the field. And so we would all help each other out uh, in order to, to best figure out where we needed to go. It was great team building experience. And since you have been chasing, do you feel like you're a better forecaster? Oh, absolutely. The experience in and of itself is something that I will... We'll never forget, and it's something that I'm so glad that I did. It allowed me to take all of the stuff that I was learning in the classroom and, and apply it into something that actually was going to happen. And to me, I, I can without a doubt say that I'm a better forecaster because of it. it. It's just an amazing opportunity. I've always wanted to do it, so I can only imagine what it must feel like to actually go through it. So I think that's a good transition to kind of the big point that I would like to make is originally when I thought of storm chasers I thought of like you said the discovery channel documentary series where they go and they just try and get the footage I remember them trying to get IMAX footage I always gave that label of storm chaser to the people that chase storms that's all they do but now that I've gone through a lot of this I've come to see it's kind of an umbrella and there are different groups that have various motivations uh, within the word storm chaser. So storm chaser isn't a very good label for everyone. It's a very broad uh, description. It is. And I don't think a lot of people actually believe or understand that storm chaser is such a broad uh, category. Exactly. So I've kind of broken it down into three different groups that have different motivations. And so I kind of want to get your feedback and see if you think, oh, these aren't groups or there should be other groups added. So like you said, educational and research experience. Um, so that's kind of one group, those people. But then you also have, I've heard meteorologists going chasing. So like the Discovery Channel series, they're just going to chase. And so sometimes broadcast meteorologists on their days off in the plains just go to chase to see the storm forming. Correct. And then lastly, I have uh, members of the public who may not have experience in doing this. Uh, but I guess you could also throw in thrill seekers here as well as photographers and videographers. I, I think those three categories definitely sum up storm chasing pretty okay. well. Yeah, that's. I was just trying to think through all the different types of groups. And then those are the kind of three that came to me. Yeah, that sounds about right. Thinking through the motivations for each of these groups. Um, obviously, education and research is you're trying to figure out how the storm forms. You're trying to better understand how to forecast it, how to warn for it, etc. Right. But then what is the motivation for just the plain meteorologists that go chasing, as well as the members of the public that don't really have that much experience with meteorology? 
for me, when I went out there, I I, I can't wait to get back <laughs> just because uh, the the things that you see out there. And I was born and raised in Virginia in the in the Blue Ridge Mountains, so it's just it, the storms that we see here and the storms that you see there are just not even close in, compa- in comparison. So I feel like a lot of meteorologists go out just because it's a lot of times it's beautiful. If you can do storm chasing safely, uh, the structure, the storm structure right. is just amazing to get to see firsthand. I think that's why a lot of meteorologists go out and do it. Uh, as far as the, the, the fuel or the adrenaline kind of seeking people that you mentioned, uh, I think they do it just for that. Um, I remember chasing in places like Oklahoma and Kansas and chasing i use that term very lightly because we didn't do a whole lot because there's just so many people out and about on dirt roads just trying to follow these storms and it's kind of crazy and it ends up being kind of a dangerous situation because these storms are really highly unpredictable all it takes is for one miscalculated step and it's it's not going to be good we as the Hokie storm chasers we try to avoid places like that especially around the metro areas of uh okc uh, we tried to stay away from that as much as possible because chaser convergence is definitely it's definitely a crazy thing out there. So you definitely have people out there that go just for the enjoyment of being in Mother Nature. And then you're, there are people out there that are seeking Yeah, and I'm glad adrenaline. that you brought up the term uh, chaser convergence because that's a kind of a popular term that's yes. being thrown around a lot in a lot of news articles. And so... Chaser convergence, for those of you who may not have heard this term before, is just where there may be a popular area or there's an area that is highly likely to see severe weather. And so you see chasers come from all across the state um, and even further to try and get up on this storm. And so you have them parked alongside rural roads or, like you said, on dirt roads. And so it makes getting around more difficult and it makes traffic accidents more likely. As far as trying to keep people safe i think something probably needs to be done uh for that uh just maybe educate people a little bit better about what is headed their way and i feel like we as a meteorology community need to come up with something uh maybe some sort of unofficial guidelines about how to chase how to be safe about it and uh, understand just what we're messing since storm chasing in general something else that i kind of wanted to touch on was uh, footage and severe weather footage that these storm chasers are getting and sending out and potentially selling to uh, television stations or uh, whatever. So do you have any idea about that or do you have any information regarding that? Um, I actually know uh, a few people that I graduated at Tech with that uh, he, he, I don't know how close he gets to the storms, but he definitely is interested in that, in that sort of uh, branch of storm chasing uh, that film uh, I think it's great in a way because it gives us some really incredible footage and photography of storms uh, that can be helpful to to the National Weather Service when it comes to uh, determining how strong a specific storm or tornado may be especially afterwards when they go out and they put out uh, the the scale the strength and intens- intensity of the storm right. uh, but I think that the unbridled uh, determination to get close to those storms may come back to backfire um it's it because i've just seen some videos in the past where they get so close and I, I just think that that's just a recipe for disaster um you have to be so careful and i understand that uh that it's a business now you have to monetize it in some way uh get those likes on facebook and people like to see action Uh, they like to see danger it's just part of us being human Uh, we like to see those things and so of course it's going to draw big crowds when you have crazy new tornado video so close Uh, it's just it's insane Um, and I understand why it is a thing but I think it's ultimately going to get someone hurt as it has in the past Uh, we've just got to to figure out a better way to do it I think and do you think that by the increase in these videos and seeing photos and all this stuff, it may be driving more people to adventure out in storm chase. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think just as any other thing uh, with the internet and stuff now, uh, when you see something out there, it it inspires you to want to go and maybe give it a shot yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think it definitely has inspired even more people to get involved in the practice of storm chasing for sure. And that's why we have to be, I think, going back to the guidelines, I think you have to be even 
uh, more adamant about getting that out just because there are so many more people now involved than there were not even five, ten years ago. Right. And I actually read a quote from one of the articles I was reading, and it said uh, something about you don't even have to know how to forecast anymore because you can just use your, the red dots right. on the weather map and follow where all the other chasers exactly. are going. So Total crazy. imitation now. Um, you, like you said, you don't have to know anything about meteorology to go out and do it uh and i think that that's it's got a low level of entry and so that's why so many people i think are getting interested in it for sure something else that can kind of be uh positive of the footage is i was reading where james Spann he has like a, a group of storm chasers or storm spotters that are part of his uh network i guess and so when the mm -hmm. super outbreak happened in 2011 he was able to get those people out there to get them footage and then he was able to show the footage on air and he said that he got a lot of responses saying that that secondary confirmation was really helpful in people making decisions it's kind of this balancing act that we're playing where getting For sure. too much footage or getting too close to footage is dangerous and is putting a negative spin on storm chasing but then having that secondary confirmation can uh, convince people to take shelter and even save lives I think it's a it's a very thin line for sure. Um, as you just mentioned, there's obviously some positive effects of that footage, uh, as long as some of the negative ones that I mentioned earlier. Uh, it, it's crazy, but uh, just like just about anything else in society, I, I believe storm chasing is going to be a very polarizing uh, subject for the years to come, right. just because of those those different uh, consequences. No, that's great. Um, do you have any other thoughts about storm chasing? I, I think it's it's amazing. Uh, just for me as a meteorologist, it it helped me become a better meteorologist, and uh, I would I would not trade my experiences for the world. And uh, that being said, and we've talked about some of the negative things, I we we can't tell anybody not to storm chase. Um, and I think as the that crazy footage that we talked about gets more and more popular, you're going to see more people out and about. And uh, I can't blame them for wanting to go out and about because ever since I went out to the plains, I, I have been itching to get back out there again. And I'm hoping to someday do that, but uh, it just goes to show that we need uh, some sort of guidelines. And um, as a community as a whole, I think through our experiences and through what we've learned about these storms, I think that we can definitely come up with a way to better communicate the risks and uh, come up with a set of guidelines. I think that's what we need. But all in all, storm chasing is amazing. And if you can do it in a safe uh, way, uh, I can't tell you not to do it. I think it's it's absolutely amazing uh, just to see Mother Nature in, in one of its most beautiful ways. Yeah, and I think especially if we come at this from a united front and have several professional organizations on board, we have maybe broadcasters, people that are big names in the weather enterprise on board with these guidelines, absolutely. that can only help help. Uh, better communicate the risks well i i really appreciate you for coming on the show your input was hey thanks for having great. me it, it's it's truly an honor to be on here uh the podcast is great keep up the good work guys thanks so much well that was a great discussion on storm chasing i know i definitely learned a lot definitely i think both of their perspectives about the educational value in storm chasing is really important, but also understanding that there are some risks and not everybody is doing it for benevolent reasons. Some people are doing it to generate cash for the video, but other people are doing it for educational reasons, which I think is more right. important. But we see how many people chase for whatever reasons they have. And we do live in a free country. You can do whatever you want. But there are some practices that are more frowned upon than others. So I think from here, we can definitely take it and try to improve on how we chase storms because there are a lot of dangers to it. Uh, Speaking of storm chasing as being controversial, we also saw a controversy of using the word haboob in a recent dust storm event in Texas in, uh, I think it was May 29th event. Did you hear about that event, Min? Yeah, so there was actually a Haboob event that happened in the Texas Panhandle in late May a couple of weeks ago, and there was a lot of controversy behind it. So pretty much a little bit of background. The word Haboob is derived from the word Habu in Arabic, which means wind. And so people, meteorologists, use the word Haboob to describe what happened, 
But a lot of Texans are saying, wait a minute, what is a haboob? It's actually just a dust storm. Right. Why are you using these fancy words? Especially, why are you using an Arabic word? We don't like that. It's a foreign word. We're totally against it. Call it a dust storm like it is. And meteorologists actually fired back and said, you know what? Actually, it is a haboob. A haboob is different from a dust storm. And let me tell you why. So a haboob actually is uh, originates from the downbursts from a severe thunderstorm development. And that wind from the downbursts actually kicks up a lot of dust. And then the dust moves very quickly into a certain area. This dust can be anywhere between um, 30 to over 100 miles wide and definitely over 100 miles long as well. And the haboob itself can travel um, 40 to 60 miles an hour, which is pretty quick. If you characterize that against what a dust storm is, a dust storm is characterized by potentially non-convective events. So uh, you might just have a, a plain old windy day, which will kick up a lot of dust and blow dust in a certain direction. And it may not be related to a severe thunderstorm like a haboob is. So that's kind of the main difference between a dust storm and a haboob. Uh, Haboob comes from the wind of a severe thunderstorm, um, outflow and downburst, as opposed to a dust storm, which can happen um, with wind on any situation or on any kind of day in any situation. Yeah. So when I heard about this controversy, I immediately went to, I don't, do you, when you listen and hear new words, do you think, oh, this is an Arabic origin? I don't know if it's just me, but when I hear new words, I don't think of what origin it is no i don't think so either i when i hear a new word i'm i'm more like oh cool it's a new word i never heard that word before but then i might do a little bit of digging and and say okay that's pretty cool Uh, why do we use that word you know because americans and english we use a lot of words from french from spanish from uh, lots of different languages i mean most of uh, pretty much all of our words have some root yeah, or origin course. in and, other languages. I mean, if you watch a spelling bee, so, come on. They always, can I get the origin of the word, please? Yeah. It is German <laughs> for bratwurst. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think it's great that we use different words. So the outrage was actually very surprising to me. Yeah, me too. In one of the articles that was talking about this outrage, one of the people they interviewed had the perfect answer to this. They said, those who want to avoid Arabic terms should also steer clear of algebra, zero, pajamas, and khaki. So I just yeah, thought because there's so many other words in our language <laughs> that are derived from Arabic, and we exactly. don't think about those at all. But when we all of a sudden hear the word haboob, we think, oh my gosh, we you know, these foreigners from the Middle East are going to take over America, which is nothing of what's going on at all. Yeah. We've been using this word for quite some time too, right? Yeah, and so there have been controversies dating back to 2011, like news stories talking about year after year, people keep having uproars about using the word haboob. But the actual uh, first appearance of it was in a 1925 paper. So we're getting close to 100 years. So even after 100 years, we're still freaking out about something new and different. But I'm pretty sure it has to do with some of the more recent controversies that are Make America Great Again, you mean? (laughs) yes presidential candidates having building walls and it's upsetting to see how people are you see something new and instead of saying oh wow that's really that's really cool uh, people are quick to shut it off and say you know what no i don't want to hear about this new word i don't want to hear it and that's kind of not what we should be doing in my opinion but you know, I think we should all be striving to learn a little bit more. And using the word haboob is a great tool to you know, showcase to people that weather is universal and we use different words from different places to describe different things. And that's okay. So speaking about all that controversy, there's a little bit of controversy uh, with the recent severe weather event for June 5th, 2016. The Storm Prediction Center issued an enhanced risk of severe weather for the mid-Atlantic and northeastern part of the country. There was some misinformation passed around on social media. Yeah, you're right. There was a lot of information being thrown thrown around on social media about that specific severe weather event. So why don't we break it down and give them kind of a timeline and show why this is kind of a bad issuance of information. So for the June 5th event that was on Sunday, the forecasts were going out days in advance of that on this uh, Pennsylvania Weather Action Facebook page. And on Friday, they had a weather map of Pennsylvania, which is what they're focused on. 
and the following categories were on there. There were the green category for marginal, a yellow one for slight, an orange one for moderate, red for high, and pink for extreme. And the first problem with seeing that is, yes, you know, they're the bullseye of pink and red right in near the Philadelphia area, near southeastern Pennsylvania. And while when you're looking at this graphic, and we'll post it on the website for you to look at as well, it you know it looks pretty pretty good. The map is actually pretty well designed, the graphics themselves. But the problem is that doesn't really correspond with the Storm Prediction Center's uh, categories. Another thing that is pretty bad is they were also posting the storm the Storm Prediction Center's maps as well. So they were showing their maps right underneath the Storm Prediction Center's maps. So if someone was scrolling on their page and look, went up and down and saw the same two maps, they would not correspond whatsoever. Exactly. And when you're looking at this map, you see the pink and the red in southeastern Pennsylvania, and you think, hi, extreme, oh my gosh, there's going to be a bunch of tornadoes, the city's going to be wiped out. But when you look at the weather scenario and the setup for the severe weather, it was pretty obvious that it wouldn't really be much of a tornado event. It'd be more so a straight line wind event, a uh, heavy rain event, um, just really strong thunderstorms that weren't really tornadic in nature. But again, these are things that are dangerous. But when you convey the information with pink extreme areas and red areas for a high danger from severe weather, it kind of freaks people out. And it, it's borderline hyping the severe weather and making people freak out and uh, share your posts or comment on it, like it. Um, this post on Friday had nearly 6,000 shares, okay? That's a lot of people seeing it. For every person who shares it, there's probably at least 100, 200, even more people who see the post. And the Facebook page itself has nearly 44,000 likes. Uh, so it's quite influential for people. And so if you're looking at this information um, and say you're an emergency manager or you are you know, working in some kind of um, important field and you see this information and you believe it, then you could be making some really critical decisions based on the information, even though the information itself isn't quite what you should be basing your judgment off of. Right. And it's, it's just really frustrating that this information is being produced out there and shown over and over and over and then we're actually seeing emergency management individuals comment on the post saying thank you so much for this information it's so helpful in getting plans ready and preparing for this upcoming severe weather event and it's just i don't understand why they're choosing this local group to get information from instead of their national weather service provider or their other partners that go along with this information. I know you reached out to him uh, and, and contacted him and expressed some of your concerns about uh, what you were seeing, right? And you wanted to not critique and criticize him, but actually offer some words of advice and kind of help him out along the way as well. So what'd you tell him? When I contacted him, I made it a point to contact him privately, and I wanted him to feel like we were all on the same team, which we all are, the Weather Enterprise. We're all one team trying to protect uh, property and save lives. So I wanted him to know that because he was doing this, because he has this page, because he has all these followers... He is a part of the weather enterprise, and he has the responsibility of correctly communicating weather information to the public. I just laid out the, the law a little bit and told him some of the concerns I had, some of the criticisms I had, some of the things, some suggestions that I offered and how he could fix things, and just reminding him that when he issues these things, there is this thing called trust. And trust, a lot of people don't think about it, but when weather information is communicated incorrectly, trust starts to decrease. And trust is a huge thing for our community because it's like an uphill battle all the time. We're always fighting the trust and the bond that we have with the general public. Someone like this comes in and gives weather information to 40,000 people, then that can just go away completely. And none of us have any control over it because he is a junior in high school giving out this information. I think a lot of people in the weather enterprise were a little bit too critical and maybe turned it into, he. it was kind of the butt of a lot of jokes on social media, which we've seen before. There's a huge problem, and we're going to have a podcast episode in the future about it, um, about social meteorology, social media, and how people use that platform to spew off a lot of 
incorrect information, hyping of information about severe weather. You'll see sometimes massive tornadoes expected all across the country. And we're all sitting back here like, what are you even talking about? This is nothing anywhere close to being accurate. But it gets a lot of shares. A lot of people like it. A lot of people post about it. Um, and it generates a lot of buzz. And that's really dangerous because if people are believing false information, when the actual correct information is being put out there, they're going to be pretty turned off by that. And they're not going to trust what the actual officials are saying if they are used to seeing all this hyped information. So we've seen it all before, meteorologists have. And certain meteorologists out there um, tend to mock that kind of uh, information that they see. Like, oh, here we go again. Some crazy kids are posting about severe weather and they don't know what they're talking about. I think instead of having that attitude, though, we should take more of a an approach that we're mentoring the people and taking them under our wing and showing them the way as opposed to making fun of them and turning them off because that's not the way you're supposed to do it. If you're truly hoping for the uh, improvement of the weather enterprise, you should definitely work to improve the young people who are going to be coming up and, you know, being a part of our community. And and so, you know, we both reached out and a lot of other people did too. And I'm really appreciative for all the people who offered um, really good information to this young man because we have to understand where he's coming from too. We've all been there. We've all been that that person who's super enthusiastic about weather. And we've all made mistakes too, and that's fine, as long as we're willing to learn from them. And I think that there was a turning point where we didn't know if the person running the page would actually listen to our information, but a solution or a kind of a nice conclusion to some of this is uh, he actually decided to do away with his system and actually go back to what the Storm Prediction Center uses, right? Correct. And so I I personally wasn't expecting him to do this. I was just kind of happy, I guess you could call it happy, that he made the complete changeover to his own system um, versus kind of some language, some color similar to the Storm Prediction Center. But then I believe today we found out that he is just going to be posting the Storm Prediction Center's maps and using their language and their colors from here on out. So I really hope that um, some of the things that all of us said in the community really made an impact on him and really showed him that, yes, you are a junior in high school, but this information is still getting out to people and they're still making decisions based on that information. And so even though you may not feel like you're part of the weather enterprise by doing this, you are one of us. And so you have the same responsibility as any of us in helping save definitely lives. and he's very skilled in what he does too those graphics are uh they look great they and, are really nice you know, obviously yeah. he knows a lot about forecasting as well and so he's gonna go really far i think it just goes down to fine-tuning some of those techniques and understanding the uh social science behind forecasting as well and you know just from this one experience alone i think he's learned a lot and i think that there's definitely potential for him to do very well in uh, the weather enterprise so i'm very excited to see where this goes but i i think this was a really good opportunity for us to reach out to younger people and then also um, to let them learn about what it takes to um, be a member of our society in the future as well Okay, Castle. So enough about that weather talk. Uh, I guess we can dive in a little bit into uh, what's been going on. We haven't really talked to each other for a couple of weeks now, right? I know. I've been waiting to you... catch up with you. I know. It's been too long. I've been waiting for a moment. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I'm sorry. I don't know that song. Um. Well, I guess I can update everybody. I am now in Colorado. I am in Denver. I am interning at FEMA in Lakewood. So I have been trying to explore a little bit. I got out here about a week before my internship started because I figured if I'm going to be out here, I might as well try to explore as much as I can. So I was actually in Telluride about a couple weeks ago. And as soon as I drove into the city, Telluride is... Very much so above sea level. I forgot what the elevation is, but it's in the mountain areas. And 
So it started snowing a little bit, started flurrying, and I was like, okay, cool. I don't really see snow very often. Also, it's, it's late May, and the fact that it's snowing is kind of weird to me. But that's not completely unusual in Colorado, which is pretty interesting. So I went to a food stand man <laughs> because I was hungry, and I was, I was like, food stand. Man. Yeah, he had a um, what are those things called? What kind of food? Um, shoot. That thing that you put in pita bread. Oh, falafel. No, is it a falafel? Yeah. I don't know. Um, He had falafels. So I got a chicken falafel and I was eating Wait. it. And so what? Wait, what is falafel? Can you explain? Uh, I'm probably going to do a really poor job of explaining it. But I think it's kind of like pita bread that you can kind of grill and warm up. And you can put like uh, grilled chicken in it. You can put uh, beef in it. You can put whatever kind of meat, like pork in it if you'd like. Um, and sometimes I have like lettuce, tomato, onion, stuff like that. So after getting my falafel from the falafel guy, I asked him, what is there to do in Telluride? And I told him I'd only be there for a few hours. And he said, there's a great hiking trail right outside the city. If you just go up to that street and you take a right and you keep on walking, you will run into the trailhead for the, uh, for the hike. And the hike is actually called Cornette Falls, um, uh, hiking hmm. trail, I guess. It's a uh, little waterfall, literally right outside of Telluride, and um, you walk for like four or five minutes, and you're, ta-da, you're there. So I'm walking towards the waterfall uh, trailhead, and I see a group of people, and they're all dressed really well, <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, and they're young, too. They're dressed young, and they're really dressed well. really well. And so I say to myself, okay, this looks like a really happening group of kids. Let me go and uh, see what they're up to. Because they obviously are also walking to the waterfall trailhead as well. So I kind of just immersed myself. I was probably about uh, like 100 yards behind them and kept on walking. And we all started on the trailhead and started walking. And, um, you know, it, it seemed kind of weird. They all had like nice hats on, nice jackets on, nice shoes on. Um, the girl in front of me who was walking actually had a uh, Starbucks cup mm. in her hand, which was kind of strange because you don't really go hiking with a Starbucks cup in your hand, you know. And so <laughs> I'm not going to lie, I kind of judged her really quickly and said to myself, okay, girl, I know you probably have like a pumpkin spice latte, but it's not that time of the year right now. Yeah, I was going to say it's not in season. Yeah, it was strange. Um, but she was really nice. I There were people coming down from the top of the trail because we're going up in elevation because we're getting – like higher and higher towards the waterfall. So we're, a lot of people were walking down and there was like a group of 10 of us who were walking up and everybody who was walking down encountered this girl with the uh, Starbucks cup and they're all kind of talking with her. She's laughing with them. And I was like, Oh, it's weird. And so I asked her, do you know everybody here? And she was like, Haha, yeah, I kind of do. There's like a group of like 30 or 40 of us and we go hiking every year uh, here, we always come to Telluride as like a little uh, reunion of sorts. And we're mostly from California, but a few people come from uh, different places. So I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Um, and then we were just kind of chit-chatting, uh, small talk a little bit. And then she gets to this part of the trail where she kind of is out of breath. And she's like, oh, man, you know, I've done this trail so many times that I kind of always forget uh, how strenuous it is. It kind of takes my breath away. And I was like, yeah, mine too. You know, I actually, uh, I have asthma and, um, you know, sometimes it's hard for me to breathe. And she was like, oh, well, I have an inhaler. Do you want to borrow it? I said, oh, <laughs> no, it's okay. I'm good. Thank you, though. And she's like, yeah, sure. No problem. And so we just kept on walking and I kind of um, was, you know, talking to a few other people in that group as well. And once we get to the base of the waterfall, there's this older guy that's with the uh, group of people. He actually turns out to be a father of one of the uh, one of the kids in the group. And so I'm just talking to him, and he's like, oh, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I'm a meteorologist, but I'm working for FEMA this summertime in Colorado. What do you do? He's like, oh, I'm a, a hydrologist, but my uh, kids – or my kid, my daughter, is part of this group. They're a bunch of really famous California um, people in the entertainment industry. So I was, like, really piqued by that. And I was like, wait, what do you mean famous? And he's like, well, my daughter works for um, Childish Gambino, and she's his secretary. Wow. I was like, wait, what? That's freaking awesome. I don't know much about him, but, I, I mean, I know he's famous, right? Um, yeah. And he was saying, yeah, and one of the girls here, uh, she used to be on this TV show called One Tree Hill. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> right? And so I'm like, One Tree Hill? No way. And... He's like, yeah, and this other guy, he's in this show, like, Breaking Bad. And I was like, wait, what? 
And <laughs> it's funny because when we started off on the trail, I actually saw this guy who looked like the guy from Breaking Bad. However, I don't watch the show. So I didn't really, I don't know. I, I saw him, thought, hmm, he does look like that guy, but why would it be that guy? No, it was him. It was indeed so, Aaron Paul. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, the guy is Jesse Pinkman from Breaking exactly. Bad. Exactly. Um, so I'm kind of freaking out at the at the moment after talking to this guy about all the different uh, celebrities I was hiking along with, which was kind of weird. So we continue along the waterfall trail up to the top of the waterfall, and lo and behold, it's um, Aaron Paul at the top of the waterfall waving down at me, and me being a dummy, I turn around <laughs> and look behind me and think, who are you waving at? So I turn around, do that thing, you know, we see in the movies, like, yeah. who, me? And I pointed at me, too, and he said, yeah, you. And so I walked up another, uh, you know, few steps up to the top of the waterfall, and he's like, hey, um, what's your name? I'm like, oh, hey, I'm, I'm Min. Uh, what's your name? And he's like, I'm, I'm Aaron. Nice to meet you. I was like, oh, my God. And I had a, <laughs> I turned around real quick and, and went on my phone and went on IMDb. And sure enough, just to verify, it was Aaron Paul. And indeed, it was. And I was like, wow, that's kind of cool. <laughs> so cool. And so we were kind of just small talking a little bit. And it was just, it was really cool just to, to be with him, talking with him. And they're yeah. normal people. Everybody was normal. They're all really chill. They just wanted to um, explore Telluride a little bit. I asked him what he was doing in town. He was telling me that they're in town for the uh, Telluride Mountain Film Festival. And so he was oh. trying to convince me to stay because I was only there for the day. And the film festival started the next day on Friday. And he tried to get me to, to stay around. And he's like, hey, it's a really great festival. Um, really into like nature and um, documentaries and stuff like that. You should totally stay around. And I was like, yeah, you know, I, I just might, you know, I don't know. I'm trying to get him to like invite me into his like little cohort of, of, uh, famous people. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, he, his wife was there too, Lauren. I forgot what her last name was, but um, it was actually their anniversary. Paul? No, well, I don't know. There's, <laughs> shut up. You know how celebrities sometimes, we talked about this before. Sometimes they don't take Wait, a is name. his wife a celebrity too? Um, I don't remember. Let me look real quick. Aaron Paul wife. I honestly didn't know he was married. Lauren so. Persakian? She sounds mm. really familiar. What has she been in? I don't know. She might be a model? Oh. Let me look. Lauren Persakian. No, she's she's a director and actress. So, yeah, she was there, too. And I talked to her a little bit, and she was really, really nice. Actually, n not a single person was mean. They're all really nice, which is great. Oh, by the way, the girl with the Starbucks yeah, I was cup, gonna say. that was Sophia Bush <laughs> from One Tree Hill. And I didn't know. Ugh. I didn't watch the show. I don't watch the show so either. Jealous. So I didn't know who she was. But I was just thinking to myself, I could have been breathing in her air with her, her inhaler that she offered me. I know. I could have put my mouth on that. Oh, my gosh. But I didn't. Sophia. <laughs> Sophia. <laughs> so jealous. With uh, Aaron Paul, it was kind of cool because he was just talking to me, you know, just nonchalantly, just kind of hanging out. And he, at one point, asked me, hey, can, I, can you take a picture of our group for us? And I was like, sure. So he and his friends went on top of a bridge over the water during the hiking trail. And I took a few photos for him. And he asked me to put on slow-mo mode. <laughs> so they could like jump up and down with the snowflakes kind of falling. And uh yeah, so I did that and that was cool. And then he asked me, Hey, do you want a picture uh for yourself too? And I was like, uh no, not really. I don't really don't want to be in a photo by myself. That was my hint to him to like get in the photo with me. Unfortunately, right. <laughs> uh, he didn't get that hint. And so he was like he just grabbed my phone from me and he's like, Get on the bridge. I was like, oh, okay, Aaron. Famous Aaron Paul. <laughs> yeah. How can you say no? Right. He grabbed my phone. I was going to like, you know, press charges for like stealing, but I was like, mm, <laughs> probably shouldn't. Um, so he, he went on the bridge or I went on the bridge and he stood down at the, uh, at, near the river and he took a picture for me. And then he signaled to all his friends to, uh, get on the bridge and take a group photo with me too. Cause I guess he was like, Oh, this kid's kind of lonely and depressing looking. Let me like tell my friends <laughs> to hover around him and make him feel special. You know, when I took a photo for his group, I almost turned it around and took a selfie of myself on his phone. Oh, you I should have done that, but I didn't because I didn't want to be that guy, uh, unfortunately. So 
so is Sophia in the picture with you on the she bridge? She is not. She went ahead and uh, finished uh. the trail. She didn't get back. They were calling everybody to get back to the bridge, and she, I guess, did not get the MMO. So, unfortunately, she is not in that photo. But um, Aaron Paul's wife is in the photo, and a few other really cool people are in the photo, too. There's a guy who's actually dating Sophia Bush right now, Jesse Lee Sofer, uh. or Sofer. I don't know if you know him, but I believe he's in the TV no. show um, Chicago PD or something like that. Oh, yeah, I don't watch those. No. Um, but, yeah, it was kind of cool. I went to a coffee shop after that and, and warmed up because I was really cold and was not expecting five inches of snow within an hour or yeah. two. <laughs> um, and luckily, my brother left his um, ice scraper in the car. So I just had a oh, – I had never perfect. used an ice scraper before, but I had to scrape everything off the windshield, off the hood. Um, I looked really dumb doing it, <laughs> but I cleared <laughs> off all the snow, which is great. Oh, I'm so jealous. Well, I mean, while I've been hiking, you have been doing a little bit of home renovation, right? Yeah, so I went home to kind of uh, escape the, the academic life. Um, I had a long list of things that I wanted to do because I wanted to give, like, kind of get rid of all the childhood furniture in my room so that my parents could use that room effectively instead of just shoving stuff in it and it's acting like storage. So I had like these huge bunk beds that were taking up a lot of their room. Yeah. And so I was like, I'm going to put them on Craigslist and hopefully get that sold the day after we put them up. Someone contacted us and we got them sold. So I had to move them out. And then while the room was empty, I was like, you know what? We should paint it because yeah, for sure. Never painted anything in my house before. So I was like, I'm tired of all the white walls. I did a blue accent wall and uh, kind of a gray uh, neutral on the other walls. Did you use like a roller? I did. Oh, fancy, fancy. Yeah. So we're nearing the end of our podcast, which means that we will be bringing up our song of the week. So Castle, what song has been stuck in your head this week? So while I was renovating and throughout this whole week, I've been listening to Ariana Grande's new album, um, which is absolutely fantastic. If you have not checked it out, I definitely recommend it. The first song that I listened to was called Bad Decisions, and it's not the first song on the album. I don't know. Do you listen to new albums like song by song, like in the order the uh, like the person chooses? Very seldom do I actually take the time to look at an artist in their new album, but when I do, I do like to listen to it in order from what they do on the album number one through number 12 or 13 yeah yeah i kind of i normally do that but this time my itunes was already set on random and so bad decisions was the first song that came on and as soon as i heard it i knew it was an absolute hit and i've been it's been stuck in my head since i listened to it so should definitely check it out okay no i will i uh i need some new songs to listen to is it kind of like edgy like the other one or is it kind of more poppy or what's going on with it's that one? it's edgy it's uh it has it's kind of has a r&b rap vibe she spits some lines in it it's pretty it's pretty legit so what is your song of the week um my song of the week actually comes from the band mkto mm, uh, do them. you remember them at all yeah i love them do they have a new album uh great question i have no idea if they have a new album but the song showed up on pandora i think randomly a couple days ago and it's called hands off my heart if you don't know who mkto is you might know them by one of their uh other songs classic which yeah. came out i believe in 2013 yeah. I believe 2013, uh, so three years ago. It's like, baby, you're so classic. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. Um, so the song that's stuck in my head now is Hands Off My Heart. I don't know how else to describe it, but I like it. And you should try to listen to it. And ta-da. <laughs> um, that's yeah. all I have. So it just came out. Yep, 2016. 2016. Do, do they have an album, though? They have a new EP out. It was July 24th, 2015, though. So, All right, cool. Well, you can find us in a variety of places, including weatherhypepodcast.com or facebook.com slash weatherhype. You can also find us on Twitter at weatherhype or send us an email at weatherhype at gmail.com. We also, I don't know if you want to tell them too, but we also transferred our hosting website. We used to be on SoundCloud, but we now transferred over to Blueberry. 
And that allowed us to have more um, data and space to upload our podcast and not have too many restrictions that uh, were accompanied by SoundCloud, unfortunately, for what we had. So we are transferring it over. So if you look at your iTunes or your Google Play, it might tell you that we have five new episodes yeah. <laughs> um, because all the old episodes will be marked as new. But that is actually not the case. We are continuing on. This will be our podcast number six and then seven, eight, nine so on and so forth but just wanted to let you guys know. and if you have any comments or reviews please send us uh, an email or leave us a review on itunes or google play we are always happy to hear from you and hear about what we're doing and if you like it so um i guess until next time stay, stay high I heard you broke up with him again So you could dance in the rain you used to take for granted And still have summer at your whim To suit your mood ring when you felt like you couldn't manage But by the time you stepped outside and Yes, and just as an update, I did watch Cadet Kelly and Smart House From the... <laughs> <laughs> on the uh, Memorial Day weekend Was it everything uh, you thought it would fest, be? And it was I mean, you've already seen it, amazing. but did you get the feels like I did? So many feels. Was it um, Christy Carlson Romano? Is that her yeah, name? Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't realize because I okay. So she's Ren from Even Stevens, mm-hmm. and so I did. I completely forgot that she was in that. And then also Iceman from the X Men movies is in it. Oh wait, so who's Iceman? He's, he's the guy that they all want to be going after. <laughs> yeah, going after. <laughs> he's the guy they all want to. Go after. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> pursue. <laughs> yeah, pursue. <laughs> They're in high school, okay? Nothing dirty. They're um, in military school. Yeah, that's true. Even less dirty. Well, more dirty. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs>